we're back after a bit of a hiatus here on Jamal About Sports on a Tuesday, July 10th, 2018. Riding solo this evening, as always, I am your host, Jamal Hayden. We got a big show to get to tonight. We have got Major League Baseball as the trade deadline looms. The All-Star Games coming up soon, although you will get no All-Star discussion here as I have zero interest in that dog and pony show that it's turned into. Um, We'll talk about, unfortunately, the Mets, but for the last time, as this will be my last show until August, uh, until football starts, and I have something more interesting to discuss because I have about had it with the Mets, uh, the sport of baseball overall. Um, This has been one of the least interesting seasons in recent memory. Uh, The sport, as I've harped on several times, uh, overrun now by uh, analytics and stat nerds. Um, If I have to hear Mickey Calloway one more time say, that's what the numbers told me to do, I'm going to puke. Well, let's see, Mick. You're 25 games under 500 since your 11-1 start. Perhaps maybe you stop paying attention and managing by rote and only as to what the numbers tell you to do. Um, but we will also talk a little bit about the NBA. We had obviously some some major moves in free agency and um, dare I say perhaps some op- reasons for optimism if you're a Knicks fan. But we start with the Mets. And look, this is all you need to know about the Mets. I mean, obviously the record is what it is, right? They are... Let's see. I think I'm correct in the 2,500 under 500, 25 games under 500 since uh, their 11 and one start. Let's let's just be sure about it. Let's take a look here at the standings. See if my math skills will help me engage here. All right. So yes, let's see. The Mets are 36 and 52. So uh, that is. 36, 46. So they're 16 games under 500. So yes, they were 10 games under 500. Now they're 16 under. So they are 25 and sorry, 25 and 51. 25 and 51 since the All-Star game. Since the All-Star game. Since the start of the season. Since they went 11 and 1. 25 and 51. 26 games under 500. That is not a small sample size. That is not. This is not a rough patch. This is now back-to-back disastrous seasons for the Mets. This is an organization devoid of a clue as to how to build a proper organization and winning and how to put a proper winning team on the field. You know, we know about Sandy Alderson now stepping down. Unfortunately for him. He's got a recurrence of his cancer. He's focusing on fighting that. There was probably some question, though, to be fair, as to whether or not he was going to return this year. And give, look, give Sandy Olson credit. And you don't have to like, you can like Sandy Olson, the person, not like the job he's done, right? You know, guy's a, a war veteran, Harvard-educated, you know, by all accounts, a good, a good and decent person. No, no, nobody's questioning that. And we wish him nothing but a speedy recovery. He's done a lousy job, and he even himself admitted that. And he said, look, I don't know that on its merits I deserve to be able to come back next year. So give him credit for for an honest self-assessment. 
you know, we've chronicled the many missteps on this show several times, so I won't get into any of the details, right? I mean, you couldn't have, although you could not have a worse offseason. I mean, Frazier has been lousy and is on the DL twice. This is classic Mets. Todd Frazier never had been on the disabled list in his seven years prior in Major League Baseball as a professional. He's been on the DL now twice. Jay Bruce, nothing short of an unmitigated failure this year. Three home runs, 17 RBIs before he went on the DL. No timetable for return. Cespedes never wants to play, apparently, anymore. No, There's no updates. Nobody knows. He did some running. We think, you know, we talked about the ground-based activities a few weeks ago on the, the, the last podcast we did. But there's no real updates. Hasn't swung a bat. Nobody knows anything. So it's a bad look for Cespedes because, you know, the, the, the worst parts of you think he's dogging it. But we don't know that for a fact. It's hard not to get to that conclusion, though, when you never hear an update of any substance as to how a guy was supposed to be out for maybe a week, two at the most, is now out for three months with no end in sight. And this is supposed to be your star number one player. Jason Vargas, a complete disaster, has been on the DL twice. Got hurt in spring training, got hurt exercising or warming up or training in between starts. And when he did pitch, he was horrendous with his 8 ERA. And then the other one, Anthony Swarzak, also on the DL and also has been lousy when he has pitched. So all four guys the Mets signed, the significant free agent signings, Bruce, Frazier, Swarzak, Vargas, all hurt, all horrendous seasons, all over 30. Coincidence? Maybe not. When the game is trending more and more to younger, more athletic players, the Mets' genius idea was let's sign four guys 30 or over and expect the same production. Now, look, the Bruce signing, I won't kill them on because he had a nice year for the Mets last year. He's a stand-up guy. I've talked about it a million times. Frazier was lazy. Should have signed Moustakis. Swarzak, you can ask my buddy Mike, whom I text with about the Mets almost every day. Shows you what kind of life I have. But uh, I said in spring training, or when that move was made, I hated that pick, that signing. You don't sign guys coming off career years to two-year deals, middling scrub relievers, and then expect them to do the same thing. It, It just, it never works out. Never. Asinine move. And Vargas, look, I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was going to be this bad. I figured he'd be 10-10 and 10 with a 4 ERA and at least give you 185 to 200 innings as a fifth starter. And he hasn't even been able to do that. So, I mean, if nothing sums up the Mets more than the fact that Todd Frazier had never been on the DL, now he's on the DL twice this year. And, of course, he's completely underperformed when he has played. He's been lousy. Then you also have... Last night's game is maybe maybe sums up the Mets season and who they are as an organization in, 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 in a nutshell. So you had uh, Corey Oswalt pitching last night. He's a young guy, not very good. He's really like a four A pitcher, probably. You know, he had some success in the minors. Doesn't overpower you with stuff. He's kind of a Dylan G type. You know, maybe tops out at ninety two. He's got to rely on off speed stuff and and hitting his spots perfectly. Is very little margin for error because he just doesn't throw very hard. But he's actually pitching a pretty decent game. He hadn't given up any hits yet. It's the fifth inning. 
gives up two walks, gets a couple of outs. They decide to intentionally walk the pitcher. I mean, sorry, walk the eighth-place hitter to get to the pitcher, which makes sense. The opposing pitcher, Aaron Nola, hits a bases-clearing double. So the first hit of the game results in three runs for the other team and a 3-0 deficit for the Mets. And the Mets had two hits all night in the second game of the doubleheader. After getting back to, shut out back-to-back games on Saturday and Sunday to the, the horrendous, not, they're not horrendous, but to the highly mediocre uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Although Blake Snell pitched against them, and he's 12-4 and four with a 2 ERA, but somehow he's not on the All-Star team. That's, that's all I need to know about the, the joke that is the All-Star team, is that that guy who's leading the AL in wins and ERA somehow did, couldn't make the All-Star team. But Mike Stanton's on the All-Star team with his 22 meaningless home runs for the Yankees. Um, so that, <laughs> I thought that, that that little scenario right there, as my buddy texted me, my buddy Kevin texted me, I said, you, I, I said look, I'm not watching, I can't watch the Mets anymore. He, he informed me, I, I didn't watch it. He said, look, I said, I, said I, just, I just flipped it on because they said, Are you guys, you know, I, got it, I was on a group text, are you watching this? No, I can't bear to watch the Mets anymore. Hold on, let me flip it on. Am I missing something? I flipped it on. I see the Mets are losing 3 nothing, but both teams have one hit. So I texted back, how in the world do both teams have one hit, but yet the Phillies have three runs and the Mets have no runs? And he wrote back, well, this is how. Just, and he explained this, this, the, the scenario I just laid out. Three walks, bases clearing double by the pitcher with two outs. First hit of the game. Can't make this up, he says. Can't. You can't. You just can't. So I'm done with the Mets. Done. Done with the Mets for this year. I mean, look, they did it again. They have a chance to call up this kid, Jeff McNeil, who's absolutely who's crushing it at double-A. Got called up to triple-A. He's crushing it. Look, I get Alonzo. Had a great year at double-A. He's been called up to triple-A. He's been awful. He's hitting 170 there. He's completely overmatched. That's fine. You don't want to call him up, play first base? Okay. But Jeff McNeil has been great. He's been great. He's hitting like 380. Four or five home runs there. It's been fantastic. Frazier goes on the DL. This guy's an infielder, kind of outfielder, utility type. Call him up. They, they, they have the temerity to say, no, 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 no. We're not going to call him up. He's not very good at third base. Oh, we're going to put Dom Smith in the outfield. I'm going to play Conforto in center field. I'm going to play Jose Reyes at third base. I'm going to play Cabrera at second base where he can't get to anything. And you're going to put Kevin Plowecki at first base. Okay, so we don't care about defense there, but when we have a, a, a younger player who's exciting and his season is now completely lost where you have nothing to lose, you may as well see if this kid can be something for you, at least a useful part moving forward, your excuse for not calling him up and calling up the, the, the super exciting journeyman Ty Kelly, who's about his ninth time up on the team in the last couple of years, is, oh, he's not good enough at third base. Well, how about this? How about you move Cabrera's fat ass off of second base over to third base, where range isn't as much of an issue if you cared about that. But you don't care. Listen, I, I, I know. I, 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 I shouldn't even talk about this team anymore. I'm, I swear, I swear, I promise I am done. Unless the Mets make some major move at the trade deadline, and get somebody good. Don't talk to me about prospects. Look at the White Sox. They traded Chris Sale for this great pros- these great prospects. All of them stink. Oh, the White Sox also got rid of Adam Eaton to the Nationals for, for uh, well, I forget his first name, this kid, Giolito kid. He's been awful. Moncada, who's, the, who's the, 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 the signature piece of the Chris, Sales, the Chris Sale trade, has been terrible for the, uh, for the, for the White Sox. 
I don't want prospects. Don't tell me about prospects. I want players. If you want Jacob DeGrom, you are – here you go. If you're the Red Sox and you want Jacob DeGrom, this, this, first of all, a couple of stipulations. One, you're giving me two players off your major league roster that are under 30. Two. Two. Okay, you don't want to give me that? Fine. You're not getting Jacob DeGrom. That's number one. Second stipulation is you're taking Jay Bruce and his hard contract and or Todd Frazier, one of the two. So if I were the Mets and the Red Sox called me, by the way, the Red Sox were smart. They would try to get Jacob DeGrom because you put him and Sale 1-2 in the playoffs. That's a pretty dynamic 1-2 punch. This is what I want. I want Devers and Jackie Bradley Jr. You could keep your prospects, your precious prospects. Give me Devers and Jackie Bradley Jr. Jackie Bradley Jr. is as gifted as an outfielder as there is. He's not hitting very well this year. He's hitting about 200. He had a good year two years ago. He's got a ton of talent. Spat, you know, athletic, can go get it in center field. He's a real center fielder. And, and the Mets need a third baseman in the worst way. Give me Devers. And you give him back Frazier and DeGrom. And if you want Jay Bruce, you can take him too. And at least Frazier will be a stopgap at third base. They also have uh, Eduardo Nunez who they can move around the infield. And then Jay Bruce can play in the outfield and they can put Mookie Betts in center. I mean, assuming he ever got healthy, by the way. The problem is he's hurt, and same thing with Frazier. Frazier is, again, supposed to not be a big deal, but with the Mets, we always know that that never ends up being the case. But that's, that's where I'm going if I'm the Mets. You want Syndergaard or DeGrom, I'm getting two major league players off your roster right now that are good and that are under 30. Otherwise, we have nothing to talk about. I don't want to hear about prospects. No interest. No interest in prospects. Because I don't trust anybody in the Mets' brain trust to make the proper evaluations given the fact that the Mets have no prospects of their own. So why would I expect them to be able to judge somebody else's prospects properly? Look at what happened last year at the trade deadline. Sandy traded for seven relievers. They all stink. None of them has done anything. All of them are lousy. All of them. Either hurt or lousy. And by the way, if you're the Mets in the offseason, and if you keep DeGrom and Syndergaard, which I advocate for, and I would keep Mats too. I would keep one of Mats or Wheeler. If you can get something good in a trade for one of those guys, I would trade one of them. I would not trade both of them. But if you give me a staff next year, and I would keep Mats because he's a lefty. I'm more inclined to keep him. If you give me a staff next year of Syndergaard, DeGrom, Mats, and you fill in four and five, right? you're stuck probably with Jason Vargas, for one more year. You hope this is just a horrible aberration of the year, although he's 35. So, but he's a soft tosser. He got off to the bad start. He missed most of spring training. You know, you, you, maybe you hope you just flush this down the toilet and you, you come back with him next year as your fifth starter. You figure out the fourth starter. You can sign somebody. But if I come back with that team next year, you better then be in the mix for Manny Machado. Because it's not going to cost you anything. It's just money. It's not going to cost you prospects or players. It's just money. Now, is it a lot of money? Sure. He's also 26 years old, one of the best hitters in baseball, and he's a great shortstop. And if you're going to tell me that you're not in the mix for Manny Machado because of Ahmed Rosario, who's one of the worst baseball players I have ever seen, then you are out of your minds if you're the Mets brain trust. This Ahmed Rosario is so ill-equipped to play the sport of baseball and the position of shortstop, I've never seen anything like it in my 40 years as a fan. What a major 
embarrassment and disappointment this kid is as a player. He, know, he doesn't know where to throw the ball. He doesn't know where to position himself. Part of that's on the Mets coaching staff, I will say. I mean, the kid plays so far deep in the hole, gets to nothing up the middle. He's got effort issues. He has no idea what the strike zone is, no idea how to hit. He has been a complete and utter disappointment. And so this idea that the Mets wouldn't be involved in bidding on Manny Machado because they've got the great Ahmed Rosario at shortstop already is lunacy. You can't get him off this team fast enough for me. And the other one is Conforto. Bye to you two. Avita saying, with your 220 average, and now you're pull happy, but you don't hit home runs either. So all you do is make, make ground out weakly into the shift and hit lazy fly balls. So if somebody wants him because they think they can turn him around, be my guest. Everybody should be on the table. Everyone should be available. Even Nimmo, who I love, and he's su- such a breath of fresh air with this team, who I was advocating to hit leadoff, by the way, in spring training. Hate to say I told you so. But nobody should be off limits except for Syndergaard and DeGrom, frankly. And I know that's not the conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom is, no, you've got to get rid of those guys and replenish your system. Again, why would anybody trust this front office to make the right call on the prospects? No. No, thank you. I mean, the Wilpons probably will because they're the worst owners in sports, tied with, with James Dolan. All right. That's it. Sorry. Had to get it off my chest. That's it. All right, let's go around the league. So, listen, baseball's got a problem. I mean, it does. It just does. Okay? We talk about the three true outcomes, home run, strikeout, or walk. Right? I heard on the Mets broadcast last night the two minutes I watched that I think give the credit to Tom Verducci, former SI baseball writer. Now he's an annoying announcer. But in any event, very good writer. Don't like him on television at all. Um, I, 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 by the way, quick aside, I was watching a game of the week a couple of weeks ago. It was Jimmy, Jimmy Cott, Kitty Cott doing the game with Tom Verducci. And Tom Verducci is trying to explain to Jim Cott about pitching. Really, Tom? Oh, yeah? You're going to get into the, the mechanics and the science behind pitching? You're going to explain it to Jim Cott? He of his 283 wins and 15 gold gloves in a row? And who, a guy who absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame but isn't? Because his old stupid standards at 300 wins was, was the barometer? Oh, yeah? Please. Another one of these guys who is in love with analytics. Him and Brian Kenny should go get married. Anyway. Uh, so... <laughs> He did point out, though, that I guess the time in between balls and play is like three minutes and 45 seconds. I mean, look, nothing happens in baseball anymore. There's no grace. There's no athleticism. There's no strategy. Everything is by the numbers. There's no gut feel. There's no instinct. Nobody manages anymore based on what their eyes tell them. They just look at a a printout. I mean, it's, it's it's a bad product. And then you have now, because of the minimal success that the Cubs had, right? Yes, they won a World Series by the, the hair on their chinny-chin-chin. And now the Astros did it, too. So now you have teams that want to tank away and replenish their farm system through the draft, which is about as dumb an idea as it gets, because that could take you 10 years. Because the baseball draft is about as unpredictable. It's the most unpredictable of the three major sports. 
It's right up there with basketball, which we'll get to in a few minutes. How idiotic that whole process is, too. But, so now this is what you have. You talk about the haves and the have-nots. Look at the American League. You've got the Red Sox at 63 and 29. The Yankees at 59 and 30. Right? Tampa Bay, God bless them. Somehow 46 and 44 with about four guys maybe you've ever heard of. Then you got the Blue Jays at 41 and 48. The Orioles are 25 and 66. Now you go over to the AL Central where it is just a dumpster fire. The Indians are nine games over and they're eight and a half games ahead of the next closest team. The Twins at eight games under, 40 and 48. The Tigers are 13 under. The White Sox are 30 and 60. There's 30 games under 500. And you have the Royals, who are in the World Series and won the World Series three years ago, are 25 and 65. They're 40 games under 500. I mean, are you kidding? And then you got the Rangers at 40 and 52, who aren't very good either. So that's one, two, three. Four, five, six terrible teams in the American League. And two, three of them, the Orioles, the White Sox, and the Royals are not even competitive. I mean, they're, they're non-competitive. Then you go over to the National League. You've got the Mets and the Marlins are both a joke. Right? You've got the Reds who are a joke. I mean, and, they, and by the way, for a terrible team, they at least had like a seven-game winning streak there. I mean, they're 11 games under 500. They're not any good. And you got the Padres doing their usual stink job at 39 and 54. The Rockies are two games over. You know, the Rockies are two games over. That's after going eight and two in their last ten. The Giants are hanging around at three games over. And the Dodgers and Diamondbacks are Diamondbacks are 50 and 41. Dodgers are 49 and 41. And in the central, you get the Brewers at 54 and 37, Cubs at 51 and 37. Cardinals hanging around, looming at 46 and 43. And you get the Pirates 6 under, Reds 11 under. I mean, it's just, it's just not a good product. I mean, look, in the American League, we already know who's in the playoffs. Red Sox are in the playoffs, Yankees are in the playoffs, Indians are in the playoffs, Astros are in the playoffs, Mariners most likely in the playoffs. Now, give the A's a lot of credit. They're 51 and 40. I don't know how. Well, we'll get to what my unsung player of the week is a reason why. I mean, the A's are 11 over 500. That's, it's incredible that they've done that, is, that, that well with that team. But the Angels have been a massive disappointment. They're only one game over. I, I mean, it, it's, it's July 10th, and we already know the five teams are going to be in, in the playoffs out of the American League. It's got to be the first time that's ever happened. Now, the National League's a little bit more up for grabs. The Braves and Phillies are tied for first at 50-39. The Nationals, who are just a, an enigma. I mean, if, if, if they're not... You know, completely underachieving in the in, in the postseason, they're having a season like they are this year or in 2015 from when the Mets came from behind and caught them and overtook them to win the division. I mean, the Nationals are 45 and 45. This is a team with Bryce Harper, with Anthony Rendon, with Adam Eaton, with Trey Turner, Daniel Murphy, Strasburg, Scherzer. Sure, he's a back-to-back Cy Young winner, and he's having another Cy Young caliber year this year. Gio Gonzalez. They get they got Kelvin Herrera, Doolittle, Madsen in the bullpen. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. They had a stretch where they went five and seventeen, 
and then called a team meeting, and then they won three in a row. Now they've lost two in a row again. And they're three and seven in their last ten. So, you know, look, the AL East is still way up for grabs, and I'm not writing the Nationals off yet either. I mean, the, look, Harper is hitting a lot of home runs, high on base percentage because he leads the league in walks. He's hitting 215. That's not good enough. Sorry. You know, they, Murphy missed the first two months of the year, and he ha- hadn't hit much when he came back. But meanwhile, they've gotten great filling performances from guys like Mark Reynolds and Matt Adams, both of whom the Mets could have had for a lot cheaper than Todd Frazier and Jay Bruce. But I wouldn't write the Nationals off. They could easily go on a 15-5 and five streak and get right back in it. Easily. And I still don't trust the Phillies. I mean, I watched them now a little bit against the Mets these last few days. That's not a good team. It's just not. They've, they've gotten great pitcher performances from Pavetta and Nola. It's not a very good team. That lineup scares nobody. Their bullpen doesn't scare anyone. It's bad. Phillies be lucky to finish 82-80. and 80. That's where, They'll finish around 82-80. and 80. Because their starting pitching is pretty good. The rest of that team's not very good. The Braves, great lineup, and they're, they've pitched better than people thought they would. So I think the Braves are much more legit than the Phillies are, but I would not discount the Nationals at all. Although this has, there some, seems to be something just off about this Nationals team. And maybe it's the fact that you've got Bryce Harper's pending free agency. You know, you, got, you had him taking ground balls at first base for no reason. They got about a million guys that can play first. Adams can play first. Reynolds can play first. Murphy can play first. It's not like he's helping the team if he plays first. What he's saying is, hey, Yankees, look, I can play first base. Go give me $400 million next year. So that's not a good look. Brewers we've talked about in the past. Great bullpen. So immense, immense with the starting pitching, but a pretty good lineup. You know, the Cubs are another enigma. I mean, they should be better. But, you know, some of these guys are not having great years. Some of their young studs, these can't-miss guys, you know, they're very streaky. Baez is very streaky. Addison Russell, Schwarber, they're all very streaky players. Even Rizzo and Bryant, who are great, but they're streaky. So, look, it's just not a very fun baseball season to me. I understand I'm a Mets fan, and that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, look. If you ever listen to the show, I talk about baseball a lot, uh, and I usually find something interesting. I, I don't find a lot interesting this year. And again, I, I just I, I think the quality of play overall around baseball. I mean, look, the Mets are the most unfundamentally sound team in the world. This is what I saw. By the way, I'm sorry. My last Mets thing. I promise. <laughs> oh, I'm like a crackhead. Anyway, my last Mets thing. I happened to flip on the game. I think it was on Saturday. After a leadoff double, right? And I think the Mets were, it was a tie game at the time. It was 3-3. Oh, no, maybe it was the game on Monday where Wilmer hit the, the walk-off home run. I mean, other than Wilmer Flores and Brandon Nimmo, there's no reason to watch the Mets. Even when DeGrom pitches, it's so frustrating because the Mets never score any runs for him. So you, all you do is see a, a, a tremendous pitching effort wasted. But in any event... Rosario actually got a leadoff double only because the Phillies left fielder was playing so far shaded over to center field because I guess that's what the spray chart said. So literally a routine hit to left turned into a double. So runner on second, nobody out, tie game. 
the great Ty Kelly comes up, swings at the first pitch, which is a fastball in the outside corner, right? What do you got to be doing there for Ty Kelly? Either you bunt, or at the very least, you've got to hit a ground ball to second base and move the runner to third. Nope, he swings at the first pitch. Fastball in the outside corner, designed to be what? Hit to the opposite field, which he, yeah, he hit a line drive, but he line drive to left field. Completely meaningless, wasted at bat. Next batter up, it's a comebacker to the pitcher. Rosario gets caught up, hung up off second base and gets thrown out. That dope who has no idea how to play baseball. That, that's Mets baseball right there. Most unfundamentally sound team in the league. But I will say this, to be fair, you see it almost all the time. I watch, other, I watch some Yankee games. The other teams the Mets play aren't exactly buttoned up either. I mean, it's It's bad. Nobody knows how to bunt anymore. And I understand because of money ball, bunting is... Uh-huh. I know. It's funny. It's funny how teams for hundreds of years, almost, at least a hundred, bunting was a useful way to play. The hit and run was a useful tactic. Now all of a sudden, it's like it's, it's as if they took out the screen pass in football because some stat geek said that you know it was only uh, you only got uh, a, a, you know ten yards twelve percent of the time and therefore it's not worth running the screen pass or something stupid like that. It's ridiculous. So, look, I just don't think baseball is very fun. I mean, the only thing that's going to be interesting is to see if the arms race between the Red Sox and the Yankees continues at the trade deadline. See what what pitcher both teams get, because they're both going to be getting one at least, starter and or reliever. Right? The Indians could probably make a move. I mean, look, I'll tell you, perfect trade partner for for the Indians would be the Mets as Drupal Cabrera and... uh, Joey Bats, who has actually been a nice little story for the Mets. He's getting, he's getting on base around a 400% clip. Still got a little pop. He had a walk-off grand slam the other night. Keeps himself in great shape. Has kept his head down. Hasn't said boo. The Indians could use outfield depth, and they could use a solid bat like Cabrera. You know, Kipnis has gotten hot recently, but you never know. And Cabrera, granted, look, his range is god-awful at second base. And now it's almost, the fact he can't move is compromising, even plays hit right at him. His reaction time looks slow. But he could certainly, at, 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 at minimum, you could maybe play him at second once or twice a week. You could play him at third once or twice a week if you wanted to give Ramirez a blow here or there. And he could certainly DH if you wanted to give Encarnacion a blow. The bottom line is, he's having a nice year. He's hitting 285 with 16 home runs and 50 RBIs. He's a good, solid, professional stick. That would be a good trading partner. And I, look, I know the Mets are going to get a lot for guys like that, but you get, maybe you get something back. You know, the Astros, I still think they need to add to that bullpen. I think Hayrus Familia would be a perfect trading partner for the Mets there. Uh, the Mariners look like they've got their bullpen pretty well locked down, but you can never have too many good arms. I mean, that's the other thing. If you're the Mets, maybe try to create a bidding war between the Red Sox, the Astros, the Mariners. Maybe even the Indians for Familia and get something decent back. I understand he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. The Yankees got Gliber Torres for Aroldis Chapman. Now, I'm not saying Familia's Aroldis Chapman and his reputation has taken a bit of a hit because he, he got hurt last year and he hasn't been great this year. But he's, been, he's pitched better lately. 
But yeah, that's it. I mean, trade deadline. That's that's what you got right now if you're looking at Major League Baseball. You got trade deadline. All right, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back right after this. Okay, we are back here on a Tuesday edition of Jamal about sports. Switching gears over to the NBA. Haven't spoken uh, since free agency, so obviously the big move was LeBron going to the Lakers, which honestly, very a bit of a head scratcher. If you look at it from a, a, a basketball standpoint, right now he's going to the Western Conference, which is uh, without question a much more competitive and a harder conference than the East. He's going to a Lakers team that, while they've got some very nice young talent in Ingram and Kuzma, um. You know, they let Julius Randle go, which was strange. He, he really had a very solid second half of the year last year. Uh, but he kind of played the same position as LeBron, so I guess it makes him sort of uh, expendable. Um, you know, even Josh Hart's a nice young player, Lonzo Ball. But, you know, Lonzo Ball is a ball-dominant, no-shoot guard. Now, LeBron can shoot, but, I mean, LeBron's best with the ball in his hands. So it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. You got to compete with the Warriors. You got to compete with the Rockets, right? The Pelicans could be an up-and-coming team. Um, so, from that standpoint, if you're looking at it like LeBron wants to go there to get a ring, I don't think that this was—I don't think that's what this move was about. I think this move was about—I mean, look, unless he thinks that Ingram and Kuzma are so good and they're going to take such a jump, and look, I put nothing past the guy. You guys know I am on record. I'm a LeBron guy all the way. I'm Team LeBron. And look, I would not put it past him to elevate those guys' levels of play to the point where they do find themselves at least in the Western Conference Finals against Golden State. But um, on its surface, this does not seem like a basketball move. This seems more like him trying to position himself and set himself up for a career post-basketball, which, by the way, I don't blame him one bit. He gave everything he could to that Cleveland franchise. He got them a ring. He, he, you know, this, the way he left this time, much better than the last time. You know, he's, I, I have no issues with him going to the Lakers at all. I'm just saying purely, if you look at it from it's a pure basketball standpoint, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. And then more of a head-scratcher are the players that... Magic Johnson, because let's be honest, he's the GM, even though supposedly uh, Rob Palinka, but it's really Magic. He brought in Rajon Rondo, who's basically an older, surlier, more of a head case problem than Lonzo Ball. Uh, look, playoff Rondo, we talked about it. I mean, the guy can play, but he's also a pain in the neck, and he's the same player Lonzo Ball is, except he's 10 years older, right? He's, he's a no-shoot, you know, e- exceptional passer of a point guard, much better defender probably than Ball. But, you know, great rebounder can get you double-doubles. You know, the double-double would be 10 points on 4 for 10 shooting. And then, you know, 15 assists and 12 rebounds. I mean, he's a unique, a unique player. He's a good player. How does he fit on that roster with LeBron, who that's kind of his thing in a lot of ways, and then also Lonzo Ball, who's like a young version of Rondo. Does him, and plus, again, some chemistry issues there. That was a strange pickup. And then they also get Lance Stevenson, who was kind of, he's not, not really LeBron's nemesis. The lazy mainstream media likes to say that he was. He's not. You know, ESPN, oh, dude, Stevenson, because he blew in LeBron's ear a few years ago. He thinks he fancies himself a LeBron stopper. You know, there's no such thing. But Lance Stevenson's been, he's about the seventh team he's been on now. He's another one's a head case. Talented guy. Not great player, but he's talented. 
provide some value, some depth off the bench. But I'm, if you're trying to build a culture there, strange that you would bring on. And then the third head case was JaVale McGee, who they brought over from uh, Golden State. So three head cases to mix with LeBron and then a very young core in Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, and Hart. So, listen, I, right now, it does not look like a, a, a recipe for success over there in Lakerland. Are they going to be better? Are they going to win 50 games just through sheer force of will and LeBron's talent? Yes, probably. But hardly anybody's idea of a championship contender right now. Again, unless Ingram turns into Kevin Durant, which he might. He showed signs last year. He was off the charts good. So, I mean, that was the big sort of free agent news. You know, there were some lesser moves here or there. You know, Chris Paul went back to Houston. OKC, you know, Paul George, OKC idiotically re-signed Paul George to a max deal. Uh, but they're going to buy Melo out. So now there's a big, you know, big discussion. Ooh, is Melo going to go to L.A. and play with Bron Bron? Or is he going to go to Houston and play with his other buddy, Chris Paul? But then have to go play for Mike D'Antoni, who couldn't stand Carmelo when he was the coach of the Knicks, and rightfully so. But by the way, the question again remains, who cares? Carmelo Anthony isn't any good anymore. I don't care to talk about third banana, fourth banana. First of all, at most he should be coming off the bench now. He is not a starter in the NBA by any stretch of the imagination. And he's just not that good anymore. I mean, yeah, he's not the worst player in the NBA, but he's so far removed from his prime and his glory days, it's not even funny. Now, the interesting thing to me is you've got the summer league going on right now. And if you're a Knicks fan, dare I say, some reason for optimism. So we start with the NBA draft, which is such a crapshoot, right? We've talked about it before on the show. For some reason, GMs in the NBA hate proven commodities. They, the, the bigger the risk, the bigger the unknown, they love it, man. Give me, if they could draft kids that were 13 from, you know, the, 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 the farthest regions of the world, they would. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. But God forbid you're a college kid who played three years at a top program and put up strong numbers and played in championship games. They want nothing to do with you. It's the, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And it's been going on forever. And they, teams keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Perfect example. The Knicks right now have three players that were drafted in the top seven of not the 2010 draft, the 2011 draft, the 2015 draft. Same draft as Porzingis. Because they traded for Moutier, who the Nuggets gave up on. And now they just signed Mario Hensgona, the kid that Orlando drafted one pick behind KP. Because he was a bust there. You know, 18-year-old kid from, from uh, Croatia. Now, he played better down the stretch last year in meaningless games for the Magic. Does that mean anything? I don't know. Obviously, somebody thought enough of him, Scott Perry included, the current Knicks GM when he was part of the Brain Trust in Orlando, to think that this kid would be a good player. And I remember when he was picked, a lot of people lauded the pick and thought he would be a dead-eye shooter. He's 6'8", can take it to the rim. But look, I mean, imagine that. That'd be like if an NFL team had three players from the top seven 
on the same team. You would you never see that. I mean, yeah, there's busts in the top ten in the NFL every now and then. Sure, it happens. But I mean, it seems like it happens in the NBA constantly. You know, Darko Milicek, Kvizkvili, Chairman uh, Chairman Lee. I, I mean, all the list goes on and on. So, but to the Knicks' credit, they are just stocking up on young talent now and sort of seeing how the rest sorts out. Thankfully, they took a forward in Kevin Knox, who a lot of people don't like, my buddy Justin included, couldn't stand him, hated the pick. I've watched a little bit of the two summer league games. He looks like he could be a player. They actually play a summer league game tonight against the Lakers, ironically enough. I'm going to watch that game. I will report back in August. But I like what I saw from Athletic. Got a nice stroke. Can finish. He looked good. Their second-round pick, the Mitchell kid, looked really impressive. Center, didn't play basketball for a year. Had some issues. Didn't go to college. I think he's 18, 19 years old. And Knox, I believe, is 18 or 19 also. But this kid's seven feet tall, can run up and down the floor, had four blocks, can dunk on. I mean, he, he looked, look, he's raw as, as all can be. But there's, there's, there's something to work with there. He's a tall, young, athletic player. Even the, uh, Alonzo Trier, the kid from Arizona, looked like he can play a little bit, who had issues with failed drug tests in college for steroids. And, you know, apparently the first test was because he had to take a medication, and the second test was the stuff was left over from the first test. So he swears up and down that he wasn't taking PEDs for performance. It was for an actual malady that he had, and the medication he had happened to contain these banned substances. And then the Troy Williams kid who the Knicks picked up late in the year last year off the rocket scrap heap looked great in the first game. So you know what? Look, and then you've got... Nilakina, who's looked okay, he didn't look great in the first game, although his defense on Trey Young was excellent. But offensively, he didn't look like much. But he looked better in the second game. And you still got Moutier coming back. And you've got Trey Burke. And you got Hardaway. You know what? Just go with the young guys, and that's it. Get Courtney Lee out of here somehow. Get Noah out of here. Whatever you got to do. Or if you're going to keep him around, they just keep, those guys can't play. And you let Fizdale mold these, these kids as, as be, in his image. I love, he's already said nobody's guaranteed any position yet. Everyone's going to earn it. He wants to play positionless basketball. I mean, and that's it. And by the way, I will watch that. You know, what I don't, and, you know, thankfully Kyle O'Quinn opted out of his contract in Indiana. He took some shots at the Knicks. That's fine. Go ahead, goofball. I mean, look, he was an okay player. He also did three things a, a game that made you scratch your head and say, has this guy ever played basketball before? Um... You know, look, he'll probably be a nice fit. I think he went to Indiana. He'll be a nice fit there. He's a good, solid bench player. I have nothing against Kylo Quinn, but I'm saying there's no reason for him to be on this roster. Commit to the full youth movement, play athletic, up-and-down basketball, exciting, make these guys get after it on defense, and at least you're starting to build something. Look, I like the Fisdale hire a lot. I think I talked about him last year after he did his take-that-for-data in the playoffs, that his playoff rant, he seems like an engaging guy, big personality. Um, again, Knicks aren't going to be any good this year. That's fine. Play as many young guys as you can and just see what, how, how, it, how it plays out. See who can play, see who can't play, and you go from there. Oh, and by the way, one last thing. 
Trey Young, whom I wanted under no circumstances for the Knicks to draft, A, because he was a guard, and B, because I, I told you he's going to be out of the league in three years. And I get it. It's summer league. But more often than not, the good players play well in summer league. Now, it's three games. He's 16 for 66 shooting so far in summer league. Just saying. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As I said, this will be the last show for the month of July. We'll be back in August sometime uh, as uh, the NFL preseason starts to heat up. We'll talk some baseball. Not Mets, though, I promise. We'll talk about the other races, uh, if there are any by then. And we'll give you lots of preseason football as well. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud, on iTunes. On Facebook, Jamal About Sports, on jamalaboutsports.com, the website, and on Twitter at Jamal About Sport No S. Thanks for listening. Peace out.